Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We are in Luke's Gospel this morning. If you don't have a Bible, the passage of Scripture we're going to be reading and studying today should be printed in your bulletin this morning. Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, in reading verse 17. Hear God's word this morning. Referring to Jesus, On one of those days as he was teaching, a Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, What do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But... That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit come today and fill our hearts, our minds, and our lives with shock and awe because of who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our mateys, raise your flags and fire me cannons, because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are world champions again. That commercial, that announcement reverberated throughout our area Last Sunday night, well into Monday night. In case you didn't know, last Sunday, Tampa Bay hosted Super Bowl 55. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were one of the two teams that made it to that Super Bowl. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won their second championship. Regardless of whether or not you like football or follow the NFL, there's a a part to that storyline that I think all of us can appreciate. We all appreciate greatness, and 
The Tampa Bay Buccaneers got the greatest of all time quarterback, Tom Brady, to join them last year. It was Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl appearance, and it was his 7th Super Bowl victory. Pretty impressive numbers. He's been in the league 20 years, so 50% of the time he makes it to the Super Bowl, and 70% of the time he wins. He wins it all. You say, who cares? I don't care. But you know what? You can't appreciate how his mama felt. She's a cancer survivor. And I saw a, a little bit of a blurb with Tom Brady's mother prior to the Super Bowl. And you know what she said? With a big smile on her face as her, her smile could light up the room and the joy just exuded through her skin, she said, this never gets old. Sounds like a mama, doesn't it? This never gets old. Seeing my son make it to the Super Bowl, this never gets old. Seeing my son win the Super Bowl, she said, this never gets old. You would think after 10 Super Bowl appearances that it might get old. What's the saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. Been there, done that. What does that have to do with me and you today? What Mrs. Brady says about her son. Can I say the same thing about God's son? Come here on Sunday mornings, ready to worship. Does this ever get old? Or is it a drudgery to get here? Opening up the Word of God and hearing someone read God's Word, teach God's Word, preach God's Word. Does this ever get old for you? Coming into God's house, does it ever get old? To take our concerns and our fears and our sins to the Lord. Does it ever get old? Sometimes for me, I wonder if coming to the pulpit is more of a duty than a delight. How about for you? When you come here every Sunday morning, are you just excited to worship Jesus? I'm an early riser throughout the week. And I get up at the same time on Sunday morning that I get up Monday through Saturday. But there's something about Sunday that makes it far more difficult to get up on Sunday than all the other days. Why is it? It's a spiritual battle. This passage is rich with truth. But the portion that I think I need to hear this morning, I'm trusting some of you need to hear this morning, is what happens to the Pharisees in verse 26. It says, Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. In other words, that day, it didn't get old. 
They were wowed by God's grace. They were wowed by God's power. Church, Christian, when is the last time you can say you were wowed by God's grace? When's the last time you could leave this sanctuary saying that you were wowed by the power of God and how it moved in you that day? The title of today's message is Shock and Awe. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, shock and awe, by a show of hands? Okay. You remember when we responded to ISIS in Afghanistan, uh, President George W. Bush titled the campaign Shock and Awe. What does that mean? It means that you overwhelm the with a radical progression of power. In other words, that you, you bombard the enemy with such power that it cripples them with fear. What I want to submit to you in this passage is our Lord Jesus hitting us and hitting the Pharisees with shock and awe of his power and his grace. So this morning, that's what I'm hoping and praying God does in you and God does in me, is that he wows us this morning with his power. So I really just have two ways that we should be wowed by God's powerful grace this morning. First is in the shock we see in this passage, and the second will be in the awe we see in the passage. What's the shock we see in this passage? We see the shock in verses 17 through 21. What's the shock? The shock is that Jesus can forgive you. The shock comes in verses 17 through 21 in that Jesus can forgive you. I want you to embrace and enjoy the scene. In verse 17, it says that Jesus was continuously teaching, and what's happened is that Jesus' following is beginning to grow. It says, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus was continuously teaching and his following was continuing to grow so much so that those who were experts of the law and experts of the interpretation of God's law wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And then this little kind of sidebar comment is made at the end of verse 17 that's crucial to what's about ready to happen. It says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. We're given a little inside scoop in something that's about ready to happen that will help us understand what Jesus is about to do. What happens next should be humorous to you. I don't want you to miss the humor of what happens in verses 18 through 19. There are these friends of a paralytic that decide you're going to bring their friend to Jesus so that Jesus can heal them. Heal him. And it says in verse 18, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him for, before Jesus. We don't know how far they've come, but they've cover, carried their paralyzed friend on a stretcher. And when we get to the house where Jesus is teaching, there's such a crowd that they're, they're prevented from making their way through the crowd. And they decide, well, we can't kind of maneuver our friend because if we maneuver him like this, eventually he'll, 
he'll fall off the stretcher, and we don't want to do that. That would be embarrassing to him. He might get further hurt. So here's what they decide to do. They're persistent, and they enjoy the stairwell that was a part of that house that led up to the roof. And it says that, verse 19, But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Don't miss the humor. So they get there with their friend, the crowd overwhelms them. They can't slither their way through the crowd, so they mosey their way up the stairs onto the roof of the house. And you need to understand a little bit about how houses back then were built and their roofs. They usually had large beams that were stretched across the roof of the house that were separated by about two feet or three feet apart. Then going the other direction would have been sticks that upon it would have been laid dirt and straw and clay. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, says that the roof of those houses typically were about two feet thick. So then it was so thick that people could go up onto the house and sunbathe, okay? Drink their coconut water, whatever they did back in the ancient Near East in that day. And what the, the men begin to do is they begin to claw at the roof and tear a hole through it. Now let me talk to some of the young families here today. Some of you get nervous when your baby begins to cry in the service. Don't. Jesus dealt with a far greater distraction while he was preaching than I ever will. While Jesus is sitting there teaching and preaching, suddenly they begin to hear cracks in the ceiling. And they could hear muffled voices saying, oh, I think we're going to get it, I think we're going to get it, I think we're going to get it. Suddenly, debris begins falling down through the roof onto the hair of the Pharisees. They begin brushing the debris and the straw off of their hair. Some of them probably got some in their eyes. You can see them beginning to spit some of the clay and some of the debris out of their mouth. And suddenly, the muffled voices become clear voices. And suddenly, a ray of light begins to shine through the roof all while Jesus is teaching and preaching. And you think, we get distracted. Suddenly, the new sunroof that's in the house begins to shine light onto the floor. And they begin lowering their friend on his stretcher right in front of Jesus. Rather distracting. But don't miss the shock of what happens next. Jesus stops preaching. He looks at the paralytic on the floor. And what does he say? Verse 20. Man, your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> That's funny. Don't miss the humor. Are you missing the humor? This man's friends just carried him for miles, dug through a two feet thick roof, lowered him through the roof, and what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven you. Hamana, hamana. Those who are just kind of casual sitters there are thinking, uh, sorry Jesus, think you missed the memo. That's not why they came here today. It wasn't for his sins to be forgiven. It was for the fact that they were hoping and depending and trusting that you would heal him. And so 
Those who were sitting there had to have been shocked. Can you imagine what the paralytic's friends thought after they, as they were sitting up on the roof? What did Jesus just say? He's going to heal him, right? I hope. I mean, I just, I just tore off every fingernail I have. I'm bleeding. The shock is that Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees are shocked as well. It says there in verse 21, And the scribes and Pharisees began the question, saying, debating, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's true. Only Jesus, only God can forgive our sins. And so Jesus is making a direct claim to divinity in this passage, in this moment. Don't miss it, Presbyterians. Jesus is intentionally provocative. I'll get some emails this week. I can't believe our pastor pretended like he was a pirate in the pulpit. I was intentionally provocative. Why? To get your attention. Because I assume you can't understand a single word I say unless I have your attention. And the same was true of Jesus that day. He was provocative. Man, your sins are forgiven you. What's the shock? That Jesus can forgive sins. That Jesus can forgive you. Reminds me of a conversation I had with an old man from Carolina one time. We were talking about our wives and talking about some of the healthy debates and even some unhealthy arguments we can have with our wives. Happy Valentine's Day, baby. So he was talking. He said, yeah, I don't like arguing with my wife. I said, why is that, sir? He said, every time I argue with that woman, she gets historical on me. And I thought, well, that's cute. He, he, he meant to say hysterical, right? Like she gets all angry and she starts flailing her arms and she starts screaming. Ah! He said, no, I meant exactly what I said. She doesn't get hysterical. She gets historical. I said, what do you mean by historical? He said, she starts bringing up everything I've done and everything I've said for the last 25 years. <laughs> right? Isn't that the way we are, that we get historical when it comes to other people's sins? Friends, Satan can make us get historical on ourselves as he brings his poking accusation at us. And Satan will lie to us and say that we are the exception to God's grace. I want you to be wowed by the power of God's grace today, friends. Be shocked by the power of God's grace. Jesus can forgive you. Scholars debate about whether or not the man really needed his sins forgiven, the paralytic. There's no doubt that because of the fall of mankind that he was susceptible to that condition. And thus, in that sense, he needed sins removed and sins forgiven. But some suppose that perhaps Jesus was drilling to the root of that paralytic's problem, that the reason he was paralyzed was because of something he had done in the past. And friends, I don't know physically if that's true of you today, but I think that's spiritually true of all of us. 
That on our own we are dead in our transgressions and sins. That none of us comes to God. None of us seeks God on our own. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, while we were still dead in our sins, God showed his love for us, proved his love for us in sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Friends, be wild by the power of God's grace. Jesus can forgive you. Don't let Satan come with the deception that you're the exception to God's grace. Because you're not. You're not that special. But you are that special. That he would send his son to die in your place. That's the shock of this passage. That Jesus can forgive you. Which leads us to the awe of the passage, which is that Jesus can change you. That's the awe moment of this passage, is that Jesus can change you. We see the awe of this passage in verses 22 through 26. Okay, So let's look there, verse 22 through 26. After Jesus tells this paralytic that his sins are forgiven, notice what happens here in Jesus' omniscience about what's happening around him. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Why are you doubting me? Why are you doubting my authority and my ability to forgive this man of his sins? Jesus perceives what they're thinking, and then Jesus asks this question at verse 23. And don't miss the irony here. Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Which is easier? Here's what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were thinking. Well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, who could argue with that? I mean, hamana hamana go with God, right? There's no need to prove that or validate that. That's so invisible to the eye, the human eye, that they, they couldn't argue with that. And so they're assuming that Jesus doesn't have the power or the ability or the authority to heal this man. And so Jesus is kind of doing like a sleight of hand trick in the minds of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but saying, hey, well, don't worry about the fact that you're paralyzed. Uh, just know this. God loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. And so in the Pharisees' mind, they're thinking, of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. And then Jesus says this in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now it's significant the title Jesus uses for himself in this passage. It's Son of Man. It's the the title of Jesus that was referred to in Daniel chapter 7 that we used earlier this morning to affirm our faith. It's said in that affirmation of faith, if you noticed, that this is what will be given to the Son of Man. Dominion and glory and a kingdom. An everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is claiming for himself, I am the divine king. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God that has the power and the authority not only to heal this man, but to forgive this man of his sins. And so the comes in this, that Jesus decides in order to accommodate himself to the lack of faith in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he's going to heal this paralytic man so that he can prove and validate his authority and his identity 
and his ultimate mission. So Jesus says to the paralytic, rise. He commands him, rise, take up your mat and go home. And what happens? Verse 25, immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And it says this, that amazement seized them all, and they continuously glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things here today. A couple little points I want to highlight about this. When it says that they were filled with awe, it's the same Greek word that's used for fear. They were filled with a wholesome fear, a reverential respect for what had just happened here. Because what just happened? They saw Jesus tell a paralytic man to get up, take his bed, and go home. And immediately, it says without hesitation, without even blinking, the paralytic man stands up and starts going home. And what's the response? Absolute awe. R. Kent Hughes says this, the paralytic that needed healed that day were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. How about you? Last December, this past December, we had some Christmas Vesper services on Sunday evening. Uh, give you a little bit of hint into my psyche. I, I've, I dread preaching Christmas and Easter. That seems odd, doesn't it? Do you know why I, I dread preaching it? Because everyone knows what you're going to say, right? Like there's no shock in what you're going to say. Now, it's great what you're going to say, but there's no shock in it. And so I asked some of our elders to help me preach the evening Vesper services. I asked Patrick Darty to, to help preach some of the evening Vesper services. And this is how the Lord encouraged me and edified me in their preparation, in their preaching, in our conversations behind the scenes. What I sensed in them was awe about the privilege. What I sensed in them was awe about the task at hand. There was a healthy fear about standing here, opening up God's word, and expounding it for you. And my soul was fed. Before they ever got to the pulpit, my soul was fed because I saw three men that God's Holy Spirit had changed and was continuing to change. Friends, that's my longing for this church. I long to see us wowed by the power of God's grace. I long to see us wowed by the change he is making in people's lives. So much so that we would say, have you talked to him recently? Have you talked to Bill? He's different. 
Have you talked to Sally? There's something different about her. Did she get off her meds? What happened to her? No. God's changed her. I long to see our church filled, not just with people, but with people that have been wowed by God's grace, that have been forgiven by God's power, that have been changed by Jesus. That's what I long to see. And I long to see it in me, that God sparing his return that five years from now, you would say, Tanner's not the same man he was in 2021. He's not the same man. He's far closer to Jesus. He's far walking closer to Jesus than he did back then. Well, he doesn't get around as good as he used to, I know. I mean, his feet and his, his mouth maybe doesn't work like it used to. But man, he's closer to Jesus than he was back then. I long to see people that have been changed by the power of God's grace. I don't want to be like the Pharisees that they were coming and they were sitting and they were soaking, but their hearts were hardened to Jesus. Louis Paolo tells a story about a woman by the name of Rosario. Louis was ministering in Peru. And there in Lima, he gathered a group of people in the stadium to hear him preach. Rosario was a woman not to be tangled with. Uh, she was a terrorist. She knew several forms of martial arts. and In fact, by that point in her life, she had already killed 12 policemen in Peru. And Rosario heard that Lewis was going to be preaching the gospel in the stadium, so she went there that day with the intention to make her way through the crowd to him and take his life. She was going to assassinate him. And as Rosario made her way into the stadium that day, Lewis began to preach. And as she tried to navigate how she was going to make her way to the stage, either while he was preaching or after he was preaching, she was contemplating how she would assassinate him that day. But the Holy Spirit moved. And as Rosario heard Lewis preach about hell, her heart and her conscience was pricked. But what happened that day was that God saved Rosario, forgave her of her sins, and changed her heart that day. Lewis had no clue what she was about to do that day. Fast forward ten years later, Lewis would meet Rosario. And she would have an opportunity to share with him her testimony of God's grace that day. How she was wowed by God's grace. At that point, she had helped plant five churches and to start an orphanage that housed over a thousand children. What happened? Rosario was awed by God's grace. And God changed her. That's my prayer for myself today. And that's my prayer for you today. 
is that God would shock you and awe you with the power of His grace. Let's pray. Glory be to you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We can come here with hearts and minds that are dulled and numbed by distractions and obligations. We come here many days with fainting hearts. I pray that to our fainting hearts that today you might impart your rich grace. Inspire zeal for you among us. And as thou hast died for me, oh, may my love to thee be pure warm and changeless like a living fire. Wow us with your grace that we might leave here today knowing you can forgive us and you can change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.